0: Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting, (laughs) and I appreciate it so much. Yeah, thank you. Of course.
0: Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate?
1: Sure. Um, You know, I've listened to, I think, all of the interviews you've done, and I love... This question so much. I love hearing everyone's response. So, this is just very surreal and exciting for me to answer. Um, So, I grew up in Manhattan until I was about eight, and then my family moved to the suburbs, um, about half an hour outside of New York City. And I was raised by my parents, my mom and my dad, who both worked full time since like way before I was born. So, I was also very much raised by my babysitter um jenny and i would say the food i ate growing up i ate a lot of food outside of our house um we depended on chinese takeout a lot we ate a lot of um pizza we ate a lot of like jewish delicatessen food like ashkenazi um you know all different like chicken soup and knishes and that kind of stuff Um, We, my family loves a diner, (laughs) Um, lots of bagels and occasionally McDonald's. I was a chicken nugget kid. Um, And I would say the food in my family's home. I was thinking about this and I feel like it was divided between three basic Food groups, or or not food groups, but like items mm-hmm. or themes. Um, so there was a lot of packaged like diet food. Um, there was a lot of like snack wells, cookies, Boca burgers, stuff like that. In our house, there was a lot of um, food purchased from like prepared food stores. So like containers of like pesto pasta, mm-hmm. <laughs> like stuff like that. And then there was also Jenny's cooking um, and this was the food that I loved the most when I was a kid. Jenny's food that she would mostly prepare for herself and share with me is the food that I feel, I guess one of the foods I feel most deeply connected to. And it feels, I don't know, especially important to talk about right now because Jenny is from St. Vincent, which I'm sure you're aware Mm -hmm. because of where you live, but um, there was just, or there continues to be this really crazy volcano um, erupting in St. Vincent that's like devastating the country. Um, so thinking about Jenny and her family and St. Vincent right now is kind of top of mind for me. And, um, if it's okay, can I just shout out a website to to send people (laughs) to? Okay. So there's a website called feedstvincent.org. Um, so it's S-T Vincent, feedstvincent.org. And, um, The chef from Food Sermon in Brooklyn, who is also a Vincentian, he's started this like kind of meal response thing because a lot of people are like in need there. So I'm really grateful that he set that up. And it's just a very tangible, easy place for people to go to support um, just a country that is, you know, going through a very rough time right now. So that was a long answer.
0: <laughs> I love the food sermon. I'm. I'm. That's. I. Yeah. Know, it's a great restaurant. Um. Where did you? Where awesome. outside New York did you grow up?
1: I'm sorry, I didn't hear. what where you said. Where
0: outside New York did you grow up? Oh, um, in Westchester, Westchester
1: County, okay. my family moved to Harrison. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. No. No. I'm um, just. I'm
0: from like Long a- Island, and so I always want to know. <laughs> yeah. Obviously- no. Totally.
1: It's very. <laughs> like the bridge the bridge and tunnel connection exactly. I'm with you <laughs>
0: No, but and, and also what you grew up eating was so very similar to what I grew up eating, which is, you know, pizza, Chinese takeout, that sort of thing. It's very, very similar. Yeah. Um, but it, and it's also funny because I didn't realize that we are like born in the same year until I was Googling you, because for <laughs> the entire time I've been writing about food, like you've been the, a presence in the food world and in food media. And so, you know, what made you work in food and, and how did you kind of become focused on home cooking?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I have been interested in food my whole life. I have been cooking since before I can remember. Um like since I was a little little kid and I've always wanted to be in the kitchen. And I think some of that is because I didn't grow up in a family where like my parents were cooking. Like I didn't learn to cook at like my grandmother's knee or anything like that. Um I think I was seeking that kind of I don't know, sort of domestic life, maybe in some way without even realizing it. But these are thoughts I've had as an adult, as a kid, I just wanted to be in the kitchen. I thought it was just the greatest place. And Mm -hmm. I continue to think that. Um, But the thing that is, you know, I think most significant for me, in terms of working in food media, you know, as opposed to just food in general, because, you know, as you know, the food industry is like 1 million industries under one big umbrella, Um, But my parents worked in publishing. Um, So my whole life, I have been exposed to print media, to books and magazines. And I've had that early exposure. I've also had access to the publishing world since before I can remember, you know, after school, when I would go to my parents' office, you know, I was walking into office buildings that I continued to, you know, go into now. I mean, I guess virtually, (laughs) Um, you know, if I'm like meeting with someone, but you know, that definitely has informed my career. It's paved the way a lot of, for a lot of my work and everything. Um, So I think that's super important to mention because I think when we talk about opportunity, especially within publishing, which is the most opaque (laughs) industry and is like allergic to transparency, I just feel like it's super important to just talk about you know, how we got into it, Um, which I appreciate how much you do that. And the second part of your question about, like, home Mm -hmm. cooking, um, I have always been a home cook, and I proudly identify as one, you know, like, if someone calls me a chef, I feel like I'm always, like, looking over my shoulder, like, who are you talking to? (laughs) (laughs) um, And, you know, for me, home cooks and chefs are just different things. Um, And I'm really happy to be a home cook. I think they're both worthy. They're both valuable. Um, they're just different, and I try not to confuse them um, because I'm really proud of what I accomplish in my home kitchen, and I'm proud of what other people accomplish on a daily basis in theirs. And I'm so happy to be a home cook who writes for other home cooks. Um, you know, I try to share all my recipes and stories from that sort of like shared place. I would say, and. I guess the only sort of professional cooking experience I've had, in addition to like recipe writing, is I did work for many years as a private Mm -hmm. chef. Um, But that was always me cooking in other people's home kitchens. You know, I still think of that, even though it's not, um, you know, just sort of like the daily relentless grind of home cooking within your own home and it is paid. And, you know, yeah, I guess you could call me a chef for that, whatever. I don't care what you call (laughs) me. But, um, you know, that to me just continued to um, inform, you know, my life as a home cook. And I just had access to many home kitchens and access to many um, families who, you know, had the ability to hire someone to cook for them in their home, which is a really interesting fascinating experience and at the end of the day you know I think everyone just wants to feel very taken care of um I think that was a big takeaway for me I mean I have other takeaways from that time but I won't bore you (laughs) with
0: that well you mentioned kind of the relentless grind of home cooking how are you feeling in the home cooking after you know working on cookbooks we're in a pandemic you know how have you been relating to food over the last year um I mean,
1: it's made me appreciate the fact that I love to cook (laughs) so much. I'm so grateful for that. I don't know. I feel like I'm always kind of ruminating about um, home cooking and home cooks and always thinking about the labor Mm -hmm. that is home cooking, um, the undervalued, like unacknowledged, Um, Just, I think, really just not very well understood labor. And I'm someone who gets acknowledged and credited Mm -hmm. for that labor. You know, like I get to put my work out there. I get to make a business, a career out of it. Um, But I'm doing what many people are (laughs) doing every day without any credit or acknowledgement. And when we cook at home, you know, again, you know this, Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, we're not just making dinner. We are planning for it. We're maybe keeping a budget. We are keeping like a endless mental inventory of like what's in our kitchens. Um, we're trying to use things up. We are probably taking other people's like needs and desires into consideration. Um, you know, we're shopping. We're also cleaning up. We do so much mm-hmm. cleaning up. <laughs> um, you know, that's part of why I don't put, this is like a sidebar and a tangent, but I don't put times in my recipes, um, you know, like active time or prep time or whatever, because I just feel like it's endless. <laughs> like, are, are we including, you know, washing the dishes and cleaning the counter and the grocery shopping? Like, that's all part of making the recipe. Um, so I just don't put that because then I feel like I'm measuring myself against it or something. I don't know. It just, like, makes my head spin and am I asking other people to measure themselves against it? Like, I just don't like that Mm -hmm. kind of vibe. Um, Anyway, so yes, home cooks are just incredibly valuable. You know, we sustain households and communities, and this is really important work that often just doesn't get the credit that I think it so deserves. So yeah, I definitely am so happy and proud to be a home cook, especially over the last year. Um, And I'm also really happy and proud to, you know, have the opportunity to celebrate my fellow home cooks who don't often get that, I don't know, that cheer or celebration.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's funny because I think over the last year, it's the first time I've really thought of all of that labor that you just mentioned that goes into it. I think it's been so apparent to me in a way that it wasn't before, where like before when I would cook dinner, it would be part of more of a what felt like a full day. And now, it feels more mm-hmm. like just the only point of, of my day. And it's, I just see it all so clearly, like that mental inventory. Like I have felt like the weight of that mental inventory of what's in the kitchen mm-hmm. over the last year in a way that I never have before. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. And actually like, maybe I want to explore that deeper because it, it really is like such a, it's sure, so much yeah. pressure. I, <laughs> I feel.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. No, Sorry. no, no. Yes, but- I'm just. I'm like nodding <laughs> out loud. Yes.
0: <laughs> no, but it's funny, and and you know, uh, it's you know a lot of you know different complications there of of trying to keep keep life g- afloat, and also you know make sure there's food in the kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's been better to get inspiration from cookbooks like your new book, <laughs> Simply Julia. Um, mm. And I wanted to, you know, it's hard for me and I don't really talk about it. The only time I've written about kind of quote unquote health in my newsletter, it was I literally put it in quotes so that I, I wouldn't be <laughs> kind of making a judgment because I do feel like uh, it, it's, it's so difficult to talk about, you know, people are so... Yeah. Uh, connected. You don't want to tell anyone a food is bad or a food is good and health necessarily Mm -hmm. kind of says this is good. Um, And so I wanted to ask how you kind of decided to approach that idea uh, as well as the issues of fat phobia, which are so deeply connected to ideas of health and how we talk about them.
1: Yeah. Um, I so appreciate you asking this and kind of giving the context for how you've you know, gone about it in your work or or not right. gone <laughs> towards it because it's super sticky. Um, I'll just back up for a second because something I just heard you said that I feel like feels tied to this is just that feeling of like pressure right. within home cooking, having nothing to do with health. But that's something I just think about a lot. I think in the age of social media and cookbooks and stuff, I think in general, I, I see and feel and observe the sense of pressure that home cooks feel, that I think a lot of people feel. I think this measuring of ourselves against each other and ourselves. Um, and you know, that's something I try to push against as much as I can in my work. I I basically feel like the kitchen is the one place where I don't feel mm-hmm. anxious in my life. <laughs> like everywhere else, I am like so anxious and you know, that's why I take medication and see a therapist and, you know, have supportive friends and boundaries and my friendships and all these things, you know, like, this is anxiety is a big part of my life. And it's really interesting to me that it's not a part of my cooking life. And I feel like that's a place that causes stress and pressure for most people. Um, So I feel like that is like this big knot, I'm constantly trying to untie and understand. And, just be aware of and I'm saying all this because what you mentioned just really resonated but also because everything I just described to me like for me personally I can only speak for my own personal experience but that's all rooted in diet culture Mm -hmm. in the sense of um, perfectionism this sense of like trying to attain the unattainable and I'm talking about like thinness (laughs) Um, and the more I understand about diet culture and the role it's played in my life. You know, I mentioned I grew up like in a Snackwell's cookie home. Um, You know, the more I understand, you know, the roots of diet culture being the roots of everything that's problematic in our world, which is, you know, racism and white supremacy and these things that, I don't know, you do such a great job of tackling in your work. And I've been the beneficiary of, of reading work like yours, reading work like I don't know, Sabrina Strings book, Fearing the Black Body, like really understanding this, like The Body's Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, like work like this has really changed my life because, you know, as I told you, like I've loved to cook forever. Mm -hmm. It's where I have found so much joy, so much curiosity, so much connection to other people, so much confidence, you know, like I feel my most confident in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. not because I think like everything I cook is great. (laughs) I just think that, I can figure it out, you know, like, and that feels really good. But I have not felt the same confidence or joy um, or positivity when it comes to eating. Um, mm-hmm. Cooking and eating have been kind of separate things for me. And, you know, my whole life, I've felt so drawn to food in ways that have sometimes felt obsessive, Um which I think is true for honestly a lot of people in food. I've talked to a lot of people about this. Like I think I think that um issues around eating, whether it's living with an eating disorder or disordered eating, um or just any sort of obsessive feeling about food, I think it's incredibly common. Um it's part of what brings us to it and I guess I don't know what you're asking and this whole topic is such a huge topic and I think I need to just slow myself down while I'm talking about it because I think I'm trying to talk about so many things. But basically, yeah, the subtitle of my new book is Healthy Comfort Food. And I know that those words bring up a lot for a lot of people, including myself. And I guess the reason I wanted to go in that direction and go for it is because these issues have been a big part of my life. You know, I have loved cooking but I have had intense issues with like body image and disordered eating and restrictive eating. Um, These are things I've been working through personally and my work is really personal. So I chose to share this more publicly and I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to write a healthy cookbook that is not about weight loss. (laughs) Um, This is a healthy cookbook that doesn't equate the word healthy with skinny. And I guess... In terms of like, you know, thinking about your question about why I've chosen to address this publicly, I'm not the first person to do so by any means. You know, some of those books I just mentioned, there's many more like them. Um, I just do think fat phobia is everywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's everywhere. everywhere. Thai culture (laughs) is everywhere. And so I think it needs to be confronted from everywhere. And for me, that definitely includes mainstream cookbooks um, because mainstream cookbooks you know, like ones I've been lucky to produce and be a part of, like, they go a long way to influencing, you know, how we understand terms like healthy. And they have definitely informed how I've thought about healthy. And I used to think it just meant skinny and coming to understand that it doesn't. is just something I feel really strongly about sharing. And I guess in some ways, you know, I think I wrote this book, to kind of change my own definition of it just for myself and therefore kind of hold myself accountable um, and hold myself accountable in a really positive way for myself to just, you know, continue to treat myself with compassion um, and to try and do that for other people. I don't know. I feel like everything I'm saying is a little bit vague, (laughs) but it's a big, it's, you know, no pun intended. It's a very weighty topic. um, And I just think health is a really it it reminds me of the word like natural on food packaging Mm -hmm. like it's overused so much to the point where it it both means nothing Mm -hmm. and it also means something that it doesn't mean (laughs) you know it's come to mean that and I just think that's honestly really dangerous and um, I don't know I feel like I just want cooking and eating and food to be as safe Mm -hmm. (laughs) of a thing as possible and yeah so I think this is you know an attempt to be a part of that kind of conversation. Um, I don't know. Those are some rambling separate thoughts, but I'm happy to talk about like, you know, all of this or more, but um, yeah, it's definitely. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, it's so loaded. It's so loaded. And, and I feel it because yeah. I write about, you know, not, about, you know, veganism or vegetarianism and people tie these things to restrictive eating, there's a big strain Mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of, you know, vegans who are recovering from an eating disorder and veganism is a safe way to still be mindful, I guess, of, of what one is eating. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've become really, um, Really intense, like you were saying about talking about the way that fat phobia is an expression of anti-blackness, and like the ways in which (laughs) that we have to talk about it. You know, as as a European beauty ideal, it's the same as you know blonde hair and that sort of thing. Like we have to make it as though it's it's as neutral as that. Its meaning is as neutral as that. Totally, and and we have to talk about the reasons that we are. Uh, kind of obsessed with it, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so I, I really Absolutely. think it's important to address um, in the way that you have because you know people are very weird about food, <laughs> and it and because our culture yep. has made us weird about food, and and I don't mean weird about food in a negative way. I mean it in a like you know we don't, especially as women, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, we don't feel very free to eat in in a way that maybe our bodies are telling us to. We just don't.
1: Yeah. Um, I, again, I'm just nodding very vigorously <laughs> over here. You can't see me, but just please know that that's happening. Um, I could not agree more. And, you know, f- something that I write a little bit about in the introduction to the book when I'm sort of like talking right. about the word healthy and something I think about all the time is the fact that I think it's it's a word and a feeling that I think up for all Mm -hmm. of us to define for ourselves. And I think having the agency to to define it individually is incredibly important because we live in different bodies. (laughs) Like that is obvious, but I think that maybe isn't always obvious by the way these things are written about. And for me, I definitely define healthy using that word you just used, which is free. You know, it's feeling freedom. It's feeling freedom from, you know, these imposed sort of pressures and restrictions and You know everything you said beauty ideals and all these things and it's feeling free from judgment and it's feeling you know free to make choices um freedom to me is like an incredibly important part of what it means to feel healthy and i also know that the word freedom is incredibly loaded as well and i don't know i just appreciate the opportunity to just talk about these things with people like yourself and, you know, many other people, because I think that's how these things can change is through, you know, these types of conversations.
0: Right. And, you know, to also talk about vegan stuff, you have a a chapter on vegan meals in the book, which I think is great, (laughs) because I do think people think of eating a vegan meal as something Daunting, it, you know. I mean, it's funny mm-hmm. to me, of course, because I'm like, I don't even know where I would put cheese in a meal. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> know where you put the meat. I don't know. Um, but like, <laughs> um, I'm always kind of talking about like, you know, people in food media having sort of, you know, a responsibility to talk about the ways in mm-hmm. which meat is a destructive force in our in our planet in the way that mm-hmm. it is industrialized et cetera et cetera and so you know how do you approach mm-hmm. that idea you know that the food system is a huge part of global greenhouse gas emissions meat is also mm-hmm. the biggest culprit in that like how do you approach that yep. personally and also in your work in a way that you know isn't alienating
1: yeah um great question I don't know that I have like the answer here but I can just <laughs> tell you some thoughts I have on this. And I guess my disclaimer is that my thoughts on this are constantly evolving based on, you know, information that I am finding, information that's new to me, that's not new information. Um, And yeah, not to keep saying this, but a lot of that information for me on this topic comes from you and your newsletter. It comes from other people I read and talk to who, you know, either identify as vegan or work in farming or work in policy work, um, or cook for their community or feed their community in other ways, you know, people who are attached to the food system in very conscious Mm -hmm. ways. Um, I would say people I've learned a lot from who I know you've talked about a lot in your work are, you know, people like Karen Washington, people like Leah Penniman, um, I don't know. The more I learn, the more I learn, which is true for all of us. <laughs> um, so I don't know. In thinking about this, I was thinking about like, how do I decide what I put in my books or what I put on my table, which are very you know, similar things. And most of these decisions come from the people I am feeding, um, the people I'm cooking for, the person who I do that for the most if that's a sentence i'm not sure um is my wife grace Mm -hmm. um you know my home my home kitchen is me and my wife and our two dogs i would say our dogs are the ones who consume the most meat (laughs) in our (laughs) household um so i don't know that's maybe a sidebar thing but would be interesting to talk to you about because you have a dog right yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) because like Veganism and dog ownership, I think, is an very, interesting topic. Very but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I could talk to you about so many things, but I'm gonna try and answer your question. So yeah, I think I think a lot about who I'm cooking for and what their needs are. Um, and so in our household, um, I mean, I basically I'll eat anything. You know, I'm not I don't I'm very lucky to not have any allergies um, or anything like celiac disease. Like my body can handle most foods. I'm grateful for that. I try to be selective about what I eat based on what I like and, you know, what supports my local farmers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in terms of like meat consumption in our household, separate from our dogs, i mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we, My wife, Grace, doesn't like red meat. She used to eat a lot of pork. She's Southern, um, <laughs> but she just no longer really likes it. So we eat like a lot of vegan and vegetarian meals, and we also eat chicken and fish. Um, we have the privilege to be very selective about where we buy those items or all these items, um, and something that's been on my mind, which is interesting to hear you talk about a lot of people who you know, are recovering from eating disorders or disordered eating, like turning to veganism, Mm -hmm. you know, the way I have continued to, I guess, just heal my disordered eating has been through like the framework of intuitive eating. Um, And this is something I would say I'm probably, I don't know, I, I don't think I'm at the very beginning stages of, but I'm not like, out of the dark space altogether. Like this is something I'm just continuing to figure out for myself. And within the framework of intuitive eating, it's really important to me to not impose restrictions on myself um, and to just listen to my body and to get to know my body more. Mm -hmm. And the minute I impose any restriction, like I'm going to cut out whatever it is, sugar or dairy or, you know, vegetables I mean I'm not cutting out (laughs) vegetables but like whatever the restriction is it doesn't matter but the minute I hear like I'm cutting this out that brings up a lot of not great stuff for me so I try to not do that um what I try to do which causes no like triggering things (laughs) for me is to just be really conscious of where I'm getting my ingredients um which is a privilege uh to have that you know just time mm-hmm. to think about to have the money to choose you know where I spend it and all that kind of stuff um so these are things I think about but in terms of the book itself um yeah there's a chapter of it's vegan one pot meals for the reason like you kind of suggested like I think a lot of people think of you know a meal without meat in it um as something like well what, what's it gonna be <laughs> <laughs> um Like, what's the centerpiece of this or something? You know, I talk to home cooks all the time. Like, I talk to home cooks on social media all the time. Like, I am in this ongoing conversation with people who are cooking at home. And I know this comes up for a lot of people. So that's why I wanted to make it like one Mm pot meals. Like, you know, make this feel really simple because it can be simple. But also make it feel, like, cozy and familiar and, you know, not – I don't want to other it. Um, But, yeah, that chapter is in a book but also has a chapter of like chicken (laughs) recipes and I don't know, in terms of being conscious of like the food system and climate change or climate crisis and how it infects all this. I don't know if I were to write this book today versus when I started working on it, you know, that's something I thought about, like would it still have the chicken chapter? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I'm continuing to learn and I'm just grateful to learn and um Yeah, I am actually, I feel like I would like to share this with you if it's okay. But I, and maybe we'll get into this with some of the questions that are coming up. Um, But I am actually, I've taken a big pivot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I, a couple of weeks ago, started working and I'll continue to be in this job for the rest of the year. I have a new full-time job and I'm actually working at my favorite local vegetable farm. (laughs) Um, And I have taken like a step back from... Cookbook world and food media and stuff. So, the you know everyone I work with is vegan. We're talking about the stuff all day, every day, like while we're farming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like my mind and body just absorbing a lot of new information. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe we can talk in a few months <laughs> and see where I am. I don't know. It's no, interesting. It's super
0: interesting. And I love that you're working at a local farm with people who are vegan because. A lot of the narrative around veganism that we get online, I'm going to (laughs) say, and it's terrible because Mm -hmm. in the pandemic, I've just been online. Like Twitter is the only way I know what people are doing or thinking about and it's if it's affecting my book that I'm writing, obviously, because I'm writing it in a pandemic mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I can't yeah. I'm not out in the world talking to people. And so I'm not like the I'm just hearing what these people online have to say. And I, you know, I identify as vegetarian now because I do eat local eggs mm-hmm. and local goat cheese. And like sometimes I'll eat pizza with you know, out of like just a sense of uh communal uh joy, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. And you know Yeah, pizza has a lot of communal exactly. joy. I agree. And, <laughs> But people are really upset with me about this and you know i mm. even though i i am all i promote is the idea of like centralizing vegetables in your diet and like you know mm-hmm. stepping away from from meat as the centerpiece of your eating and um but you know the vegans are very angry with me all the time and i think it's because they're not really understanding a, how how, you know, eco- ecological systems work <laughs> and I'm probably yeah. going to upset any vegan who's listening to this, but sometimes there's just a real, um, you know, disconnect in terms of like actual farming and how, ac- like an actual ec- agroecological system would function, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and how localized food systems would work. I mean, obviously you would eat very little animal product. That's just it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you also, like, I live in New yeah. York. You know, I live a couple hours north of New York City. um, And you know, if if I were a one thousand percent vegan who ate no animal products and was also aware aware of all the things you just said, like I would also never eat a banana (laughs) or like a lime (laughs) or an avocado or these things that I think are very prevalent in a lot of like vegan recipes and stuff. And I don't know, it's all fascinating and it's just interesting about the sort of the conversations happening on Twitter too, because this idea of like upsetting the vegans (laughs) and stuff, which I'm sure we're both doing um, in many ways, but it's also like, yeah, upsetting the vegans who are active on Twitter, which I think is one group, (laughs) you know, and that's just, again, I just keep using the word interesting. (laughs) And I don't know, I think again, like there isn't like a one size fits all for everyone. I think it's why we have to define healthy for ourselves. It's why I, I honestly, I don't, I, I care about you as a person in the world, but like, I don't care what you yeah. eat, <laughs> you know, that doesn't matter to me. Um, but I, I'm interested in yeah. it. I'm curious about how you make these decisions, but like what you eat has zero impact on my life. You know, like, I mean, maybe the decisions about who you're supporting and stuff, maybe it does have an impact. I don't know. This is complicated, yeah. but I think the judgment and the measuring against each other which I think, again, rooted in white supremacy and racism and diet culture, like everything we're talking about is connected, yeah. even if it doesn't maybe seem that way. And I just really, am, I don't know, I think that's something I'm very passionate about is just trying to remove judgment.
0: Yeah, no. And I mean, it's it's hard because there is, you know, the collective impact of what we eat is real. And I mean, that's why we need <laughs> systemic change to make Uh, It easier for everyone to make choices that are healthy for the earth, healthy for us as human beings, because we, you know, we do feel and I mean, this is a bit woo -woo wooey, but, you know, we do feel the impact energetically of like how how healthy and like how good other people feel that has an impact on all our lives. And so uh, that's why I talk about. Yeah.
1: I mean, I am a gay yes. woman who's working at a vegetable farm in the Hudson Valley. Like, I'm all for the woo-woo. <laughs> like, that's fine. <laughs> like, I'm with you. Like, you don't have to explain that to me.
0: But it's real, you know, and, and I, I think it's important to talk about. It. And, you know, I just really, um, yeah, I, I I it's hard because I, I want to talk to vegans about my own choices and my own kind of, but then I'm kind of considered a, an ex-vegan. And that's like a really bad mm-hmm thing (laughs) so
1: it's really interesting because it almost there's like a parallel here to me about conversations I have with people like in the queer community like where you know what does it mean if you I don't know have like always been a lesbian and then like you date a cisgendered man or something you know like these kinds of things like I think these communities and cultures where labels take on a lot of I don't know yeah weight and import and stuff and it's it's kind of it's like- I think the world isn't black right. and white, and like there's a lot of nuance, and it's it's hard to figure out where you sit in a community that relies on labels to define yeah. itself um and I think that gets really amplified when you enter spaces like right. Twitter <laughs> where there's like very little room, very for nuance, little room, for which nuance. is why I don't spend much time I know there. I need to yeah. get
0: i need to I need to stop. <laughs> I mean you no, don't. Know. You can do it. But it's so want, it's but. hard to get off when you're a writer and when like my work really depends on you know, I can look at the the hits to my newsletter and like they're mostly coming from Twitter and it's like I have to engage a, somewhat, but I, I am trying to engage in a more healthy way, which obviously this is not what we're talking about, but I am I am engaged in a I more know. healthy way <laughs> because I I, blo- I don't see anyone's responses to me unless I follow them and so that's changed my whole mm-hmm. life. But um that's yeah.
1: cool. That's smart. Good Thanks. for you. That's great. Yeah. i I mean I, I know this isn't what we're talking about, but it's also I, social I media mean, is such a big, big part, part of their yeah. lives.
0: And I'd like yeah. to talk to you no know, people, I love to ask about people's relationships with social media because I think it's useful also for like the readers or the listeners to uh, to know like what it's like for people who are kind of I hate this phrase, but creating content. <laughs> And like have to engage yeah. in social media on this professional level, but it, it, it is, it is work. It is labor. Yeah, no. And
1: it definitely feeds into our income. Yes. Like if you're getting hits on your newsletter that you're getting, you know, there's paid subscribers, including myself, highly <laughs> recommend it. Very good investment. Um, I, I get it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm trying to get people to buy my book because yeah. yeah, yes, I believe in my book, but I also have a mortgage I'm paying, yeah. you know, like these are actual things. And, you know, I think we don't talk about a lot of stuff like money and all that. I mean, you talk about it, but that's rare. And um, I don't know, the way social media plays into this, I think is tied to everything we're talking about, like this kind of sense of pressure or exceptionalism. And I don't know, for me, when I used to check things like, um, you know, like, likes or comments or my ranking on something like Amazon or something, which is just not something I recommend anyone do. Um, When we're checking these numbers, to me it always just felt like how I used to feel when I would step on a scale and check my weight, which I haven't done in a long time. I threw out my scale a while ago because it didn't make me feel good. (laughs) Um, And this kind of constant measuring, I feel like you kind of spoke to this earlier earlier, I just feel like it's worth mentioning now because I think there's a connection between these things and something that's been really helpful for me is like, who provided these numbers? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are they, what are they getting out of it? Because they're probably the person getting or the institution getting something out of it. Like this constant checking, we're doing it because someone provided these things, these rankings, these numbers and I don't know. It's a big part of why I joined the farm crew because it means I am spending at least 8 hours a day not on my phone or computer and that feels revolutionary for me personally mm-hmm. and even in just a few weeks like I've noticed the difference in just how I feel and honestly to go back to this word like I feel healthier, yeah. I feel more free, <laughs> I feel less judged. I'm judging myself less. I Just don't care about these things like these numbers, Um, and that feels honestly like a relief. Um, Anyway,
0: no, it's real. It's real.
1: Continue. Yeah, no, no, no. I
0: mean, I love, I love the any tangent is good. (laughs) But um, you know, and I wanted to talk about your past cookbook, Feed the Resistance, the website Equity at the Table, Mm -hmm. which is a database of food Mm -hmm. professionals who ID as queer, Black, Indigenous, person of color, women, non-binary. As a, you know, white food writer with a big platform, you know, why have you taken on these political projects in food?
1: Um, excellent question. (laughs) Um, I have taken on these projects because I feel like I have the time, the money and the access to do so. And it feels like a responsibility to do so. I don't consider myself a leader Mm -hmm. in these projects. Um, And when I say that, I'm not trying to, like, abdicate responsibility. I just want to be very clear, again, about how I see myself. Like, sort of the home cook versus the chef thing. Like, you know, I think that leaders in the space know a lot more than I do. I am someone who's trying to actively learn more all the time and trying actively to connect with more people all the time because that makes my life more interesting and richer (laughs) you know there's like a lot of really wonderful things that come with that um and I don't know I've been thinking about this in anticipation of talking to you because you were kind to share some of these questions ahead of time and you know because of these relationships I have had the tremendous opportunity to have people be generous with me and call me in um that is incredibly valuable. I, you know, I try to surround myself with people who hold me accountable and I try to hold myself accountable as, you know, a white woman with a lot of privilege in the community and, you know, the space I work in, you know, I mentioned to you, I I grew up in publishing Mm -hmm. with white parents, you know, like I, it wasn't like I had to um, figure out how to get in the door. I was like on the other side of it, you know, and so I just think, I don't know, I think my my thoughts on, on this position and these projects and stuff are, again, like constantly evolving. And that evolution is, it happens in conversations like this one and ones I've had with many people. Um, you know, I try to talk to people who have had different experiences than I do, different perspectives, yeah. who have different levels of access than I do, both less and more, <laughs> Um And I know what it's like to have the kind of access and agency I have. So I just basically feel like I just try to do whatever I can to create more Mm -hmm. of that for more people. Um, And I just feel, I don't know, I feel really grateful for the moments and people who have, you know, talked to me along the way. Like, you know, you mentioned Feed the Resistance, which came out in 2017. Um, I was thinking about, because you've interviewed Tunde mm-hmm. Wei. no, I right? haven't. Actually, I, I feel like I've listened to. Th- I, I oh, love Tunde I like Wei, I've but listened I to the no, yet? no, I
0: haven't. I've never actually spoken <clears throat> to him. So, which is funny because I, like- I think we're we're e- like fans of each other's work, but I haven't <laughs> I haven't invited him for an interview yet because I feel like I'm not uh, ready.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. get that. I mean, I think you are, but I mean, whatever. He's a person. Of you're course. a person. Like, um. That's so funny because I really am like totally like a very regular reader and listener, and I like imagine maybe I've just heard the two of you talking about such similar things. Mm-hmm. I imagined I've heard a conversation, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, you can cut this out. But um, I don't know. Tunde was someone who he wrote an essay for Feed the Resistance. He was part of it. You know, I had reached out to him, um, and I was thinking about a conversation I had with him where he called me basically. I don't know. I haven't talked to him about sharing this story, but I hope it's okay. But I just, you know, he was like, are you the right person to be doing this book? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if there's a right person. I don't know that I am the right person, but I, here I am the person doing it. And I don't know, it's just like a really interesting conversation that I just really appreciate that he took the time to you know, have this conversation with me and not just about me. (laughs) Um, That's something I try to do in my Mm -hmm. life, personal and professional. Like I try to talk to people rather than about them as much as I can Um, because I have definitely benefited from that. And I don't know, I'd rather, I guess in general, I'd rather throw a lot of darts against the board and see what sticks and learn from the mistakes I make along the way and just try and, um create like safe spaces within my own life personally and professionally for you know the people i care about to have the same kind of space to you know get it right and also get it wrong because <laughs> we're not always going to get it right so Yeah. Yeah. Those are some thoughts. No, for
0: sure. And I wanted to ask you, you know, (laughs) about kind of, and I ask a lot of people about it, like, do, do we think that the big moment of like Adam Rappaport stepping down from Bon Appetit, has it, is it really Mm -hmm. going to change anything? And, you know, I've always said, Mm. you know, um, I'm like a mixed race white woman. And I've always been kind of Mm -hmm. conscious about how much easier it is for editors to give me an assignment or put me in a position Mm -hmm. than it would be for a, you know, black or visibly Latinx writer. And, you know, what has kind of been going through your head during these moments and how have you kind of decided to respond to it using your work?
1: Sure. Um, Again, really appreciate this question and, you know, all you do to, ask other people the same question (laughs) and and yourself um i guess what's been going through my head right now is what's been going through my head for a while i know it's been going through yours as well um you know based on things you've written about and you know the food writers workshop i remember the first one i went and it was right after equity the table started Mm -hmm. um like like within days i think and i just remember feeling like it just felt really great to be there um it was awesome to see what, you know, even you your your fellow, um, I don't know what you would call them, colleagues right. <laughs> or <laughs> organizers or whatever, yeah. put together um, just like a conference that cost exactly what it cost to put on. Like, wow, that felt novel. <laughs> um, and just with like this tangible information, and I think all of that is very true to Equity at the Table, which is, you know, free to use, always will be, free to join, Um You know, this is not something that's scaling. (laughs) Um, And anyway, um, so yes, I think that this reckoning, quote unquote, I put it in air quotes because, uh, you know, I'm not sure it it is actually a reckoning. Um, I'm not sure. But I feel like it's, I know it's overdue. Um, And in terms of what I'm thinking about now, you know, I'm actually working on something that I'm really really excited about that has not been like a very it's not been a public thing at all because I don't think it needs to be but I think it's worth just kind of talking about here because I think it answers your question. So um, I have been working with um, a really wonderful literary agent which is not um, a unicorn (laughs) (laughs) like that is a thing that exists like they're few and far in between but um, this wonderful literary agent Um, Cindy Ah, who is an agent at CAA, which is like a huge agency. Um, I know Cindy because she's a member of Equity at the Table. Um, And she reached out to me, it was like a few months ago, about working on a book with a client of hers, working as like a co-author, which is something I've done a lot of. And I just didn't think I was the right person for the job. Um, And I also wasn't looking for that job. Um, I was approaching the burnout that has led me to work on the farm, which is, you know, maybe funny. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And, but I got to talking to Cindy about like, how how did my name become one of the very small number of names on like the post-it that someone like her or a cookbook editor reaches out to when an author is looking for a collaborator because it's not a very long list of names. And we got to talking about this. So we have over the past few months been working on this, um, I don't know what to call it, workshop, I guess, that we started, we're like in the middle of it now. And basically we are working with five writers um, who are all um, either women of color or uh, queer and or queer, Um, basically all the same people who are part of like equity at the Mm -hmm. table. But five people and we are doing this workshop where we're meeting every Sunday afternoon on Zoom and we're basically like giving all the information of what it is to make a cookbook, what it is to be a collaborator um, and we've broken it down. We've made this whole syllabus. Cindy has really taken the charge on that. It's awesome. And what I think sets this apart from other things is it's not just the information. We're also trying to create a lot of connection and access. So we are not the ones giving this information. We have brought on agents and editors, Mm -hmm. like high-powered cookbook agents and editors who are sharing the information and getting to know these writers. And I think the combination of those two things, like the information but also the access and the relationships and the connection that feels incredibly important um, because as you know because you've done this like you can provide information Mm -hmm. like someone can google how to write a book proposal like i can give you ones i've done before i can tell you exactly how i make them i'm happy to do that i do that all the time (laughs) like um but that's not the same as like helping create a connection between the gatekeepers who get to make the decisions about who gets to be hired And working on this is something that has just fueled me and it's honestly left me feeling um, much more positive about the industry that I am taking a pause from because I have not felt so positive Mm -hmm. about it for a long time. And I guess what's going through my mind right now to answer your question is the difference between working on a large scale, working on something like equity at the table, which, you know, has a lot of members that reaches a lot of people that's very big right working on something like feed the resistance which again had like a lot of contributors got a lot of press like tried to reach a lot of people you know these large scale things what i am really interested in now is something on a slightly smaller scale but that has a lot of impact like these five writers that will make a very big Mm -hmm. impact because that is literally like doubling the number of like (laughs) go-to collaborators like, and that feels important. And it's Mm -hmm. not that the other stuff doesn't feel important. I just, I guess in general, I've tried to reach a lot of people with Mm -hmm. my work, whether it's in cookbooks or in other work I do. And I think I'm just at a point in my life right now when I'm just (laughs) much more interested in like much more personal connections. Yeah. Including, like stepping away from cookbooks to work on the farm and work with a small group of people in person every day and not try and reach, you know, thousands of people online. Like I want I want to know the people who are buying the vegetables we're growing and I want to know the people that I'm working with. And that feels just really, it's nice to have both these things in my life. And I guess that's what's on my mind right now. Um, and I guess in general... I don't know, this is incredibly cheesy, what I'm about to say, Um, but something that has helped me just... It's given me a really helpful framework for everything we're talking about is to just try and think about food media, Mm -hmm. making it and consuming it in the same way I think about making and consuming food. (laughs) Um, And I just try to think about, like, where does it come from? Who is making it? Like, how are those people treated? Like what is the level of access and agency um i don't know i think all these things apply for both yeah. and that just helps me organize the stuff in my head because otherwise it feels really overwhelming
0: no it is it is overwhelming and it, and we do need our our own little methodologies for for dealing with because <laughs> it's overwhelming the, you know the world is overwhelming <laughs> it's so hard to do any right thing ever i was having this conversation with friends yesterday about like whether it's okay for us to go to Costco in Puerto Rico because, and it's like, well, we need, you know, I cook, all the time I bake all the time I make recipes for other people to make you know to influence other people to you know do vegan baking you know and I need a lot of stuff unfortunately to do mm-hmm. that and like mm-hmm. the way to do that is in an affordable manner is to go to Costco and and you know and I don't we don't have a car so it's like you take kind of the climate impact mm-hmm. of being people who don't drive every day who don't put a car on the road yeah. And, and you, know, you know so what is it to kind of have some imported food in that anyway so the whole thing is like this whole kind of arithmetic around you know what choices Mm -hmm. can you make that are good for the planet and your local economy and what choices are good for you as a human being who has to also work (laughs) and yeah (laughs) totally
1: yeah i i mean i am so with you and these are things i think about often as both like you know to use this dreaded phrase that I think we both don't like, but like as a creator right, of content, yeah. um, but also just as a person who feeds myself and my loved ones mm-hmm. and exist in this world. Um, and I just think, I don't know, hearing what you just said, like, you know, trying to figure out like the right thing. I just, I'm trying to understand that I think with the options that exist and the systems that exist, I don't know that the right thing is available to us. So I think we are just all just, I don't know, doing the best we can with what we have and we have different things and there's just, I don't know. I just feel calmer about it when I'm like, oh, there isn't a right answer because these things aren't built (laughs) to support the right answer. So I think we're figuring, you know, I think we're building the plane while we're flying Mm -hmm. it, you know, whatever other analogies work here. And um, I don't know, I feel like I get things wrong all the time, but I'm trying to understand that that is, that just is what it is. And part of why I get things wrong is because we're not set up to get things right. Right. (laughs) And, you know, that is the issue, not so much like my personal choices, though those are important. Right.
0: No, they are. They are important. And yeah. I mean, to get now to this question, why for you is cooking a political act?
1: Um, Again, here you <laughs> ask everyone this. Um, I'm always like, how would I answer this? And now, oh my gosh, we have reached the moment. Um, is cooking a political act? Absolutely. It's a political act. A hundred percent. I don't think it's always a conscious political act. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think every single time I, I don't know, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Am I like, this is political. Um, But I think that every time we spend money on anything, including food, um, we make decisions that have a political impact and make decisions that give feedback to systems that we are very attached to, whether we want to be or not. And so, yeah, I think also another sort of part of this is that I think every time I share something I cook, whether it's in a cookbook or an Instagram post like I think that sharing you know that amplification that like attempt to communicate something I think that is inherently political Mm -hmm. um so that's something I think about a lot but I think I really I love that you asked this question because I think it reminds us that or at least it reminds me that I think we often think about political as something like capital P (laughs) like this this moment um you know, I, I'm I'm voting, I'm, you know, advocating for this politician or something like these things that are incredibly important. <laughs> um, but I think our lives are political, yeah. we exist in political systems. So everything we do is attached to that. And I think that it's kind of designed to make us not realize that. <laughs> so yeah, I think my everyday cooking at home is totally political, as are so many other parts of my life. And the fact that I don't realize that often is like, I think, part of both the problem and maybe the solution or a solution. Um, So, yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, my gosh. I like have so many other thoughts based on everything you ask. And that is just, I think, a testament to um, the work you share. So thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. No, you're too kind to me through this. I keep saying I need to get some people on who are going to be contentious. (laughs) Like, oh, I mean. You don't. Have I don't have to do have that. To do but that. If you, but now, you know, I'm like, I'm like, oh, are people too bored? Are these too caught? Con- like, are these not? You know, yeah. Uh, mm. uh, am I not? You know, challenging myself enough by not sparring in in any way. But anyway, um, I.
1: I think that's the Long Island. It is. Here. It is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I appreciate so much you taking the time out today to to talk about all this. I'm so excited to hear and see more about your work on the farm and to mm. yeah and to, and to continue to get inspiration from your cookbooks
1: um well thank you so much and i really appreciate your time i appreciate the time you make for all the amazing people you know you have on this i'm i'm really grateful to be one of them and i just continue to look forward to learning from your work too so i guess this is some mutual appreciation <laughs> and i think I, that is a okay i i don't think you have to <laughs> get the haters in that's fine Thanks.